Um, good morning, everyone. I'm Kayla, uh, for those who haven't met me yet. <laughs> um, let's read uh, Deuteronomy. Chapter 5 uh, is in page 144. So it says, The Ten Commandments. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time I stood before the Lord and you to declare to you the words of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not, want, did not go up the mountains. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You should have no other gods before me. You should not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You should not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the father to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You should not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless uh, who misuse his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, either you, you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, not any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of here with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the, ha in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to you, your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud, and the deep darkness, and he added nothing more. And he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. Morning, everyone. Keep Deuteronomy 5 open in front of you. We'll need to look there. We'll need to look at Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews 8. That's the passages you'll need to jump to. But keep chapter 5 open. In the uh, notice sheet, there's a sermon outline you may find helpful. Um, and there's a little breakup of Deuteronomy at the bottom of that. Um, let's pray. And as we pray, I'll pray too for Steve Young, who's preaching over at Christ Central, over at Edens Hill. So let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, thank you that we have this opportunity to look at your word. Uh, We pray for us here and also the church at Eaton's Hill. Lord, we pray that we would grow to know you better as we look at your word. Please help us to understand what we see in, in the Bible and to see Jesus more clearly as we understand it. Please help us to trust you more and to be more sure of the forgiveness we have in Jesus' name. And Lord, please help us to be willing to serve Jesus as our Saviour and as our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were um, gathered around as God's people, ready to cross into the, the land, the people that Moses was talking to, then you wouldn't be eating roast pork. You wouldn't be having uh, pulled pork with avocado. You wouldn't eat bacon and eggs. Um, you wouldn't even have a ham sandwich. Why? Well, because in this Jewish context, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 8 applies, and Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 8 says the pig is also unclean. Although it has a divided hoof, it does not chew the cud. You are not to eat their meat or touch their carcasses. Now, amongst Christians today, we don't really get into big arguments about this one. Christians, um, we don't feel compelled to be bound by that command, do we? We're free to eat pork. I confess I did last night. In the same chapter of Deuteronomy, you keep reading down through the chapter, you find instructions to set aside a tenth of all the produce of your fields, um, the firstborn of your flocks, um, to present it all to the Lord. And then you keep reading through, you come to Deuteronomy 26, and there's instructions of tithing. Now, amongst Christians, tithing's not as clear-cut as eating pork, is it? Some will say that we're no longer bound by that, and others will say, well, the principle applies, and there's open discussion around it. And then you come to the passage that we're looking at today. You come to the Ten Commandments in chapter 5, and you look through them. So verse 17, do not murder. There's not a lot of debate around that amongst Christians. We generally don't do that. Um, Verse 18, do not commit adultery. Verse 19, do not steal. Verse 20, do not give false testimony. Verse 21, do not covet. Verse 16, going back up, honour your parents. There's little debate about any of that. We as Christians, we kind of see that as applying even in our context. We recognise our context has changed. But we hold to those things. The same can be said for the first four of the commandments. So verse 7, have no other God. Verse 8 to 10, don't make idols. Verse 11, don't misuse God's name. Verse 12, a bit more debate around that one, isn't there? Keeping the Sabbath. Christians differ over how they think that should be applied. All I've done so far is kind of showed you that this issue of what to do with the Ten Commandments and the decrees and the laws in Deuteronomy, what to do with these things, it's still an open topic, isn't it? And so as we look at the Ten Commandments today, what I want to do is kind of give us the framework to think this through. And the first thing is we've got to be looking at these commands in their original context, the context in which they were given. I mean, context matters. I hate it when my words get taken out of context. And it sounds like you said something you didn't say. Well, how much more important with God's words? Let's not take them out of context. In the case of the Ten Commandments, if we can understand what was intended in the original context, then we can have a better chance of applying it to our context today. And so when you try to do that with the Ten Commandments, um, the short of it is 
the context of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy, including the, um, the, all the other laws and so on, these are instructions to Israel for how to live in the land that God's giving them. That's what these commandments are in their context. It anticipates that if these people keep these commands, then they'll be God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's the picture. That's the context. So the Ten Commandments in, which, in, in Deuteronomy here are rules by which Israel were to live in the land. Let me show it to you. Look at how the chapter finishes. So go further down into chapter 5. In verses 23 to 27, Moses, he's telling the young Israel, Israelites that the old Israelites were scared of God, and so they sent Moses to speak on their behalf. In verses 28 and 29, God agrees to Moses being that, that go-between. And then in 5 verse 30, it says, Go tell them to return to their tents, the people, but you stay here with me so that I may give you all the commands, decrees and laws you are to teach them to follow in the land I'm giving them to possess. So these are the instructions for how to live in the land that God's giving them. Um, Down in verse 33, walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that that you will possess. Not a hard thing, but the Ten Commandments, all the decrees and the laws, are instructions for God's people how to live in the place that he's giving them, how to live under his rule. Now, when we look at Deuteronomy, we know um, from the previous sermons that across Deuteronomy there's three talks or three sermons. There's the first one that takes the first four chapters. It's like a history lesson, looking back. Don't do what your parents did. Trust God and obey God. The second sermon or the second talk, it's the long one, it goes from chapter 5 all the way through to 28. It's all the, the law. Um, and then in the third talk, in verses 29 to 30, there's the renewal of the covenant. And then there's the transition where Moses hands over to Joshua. If you look at how the first talk wraps up, if you look back at chapter 4, verse 40, keep his decrees and commands which I'm giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you for all time. There it is again. These decrees, these laws, these instructions that they're to trust and obey, they're the way that Israel should live in the land that they're being given. Um, In chapter 5, we're reminded of another important part of the context of the Ten Commandments. These commandments come in the context of a covenant. So you see that if you look back up in chapter 5, verse 1. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them. Be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. That's Mount Sinai. It was not without, it was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all who are alive here today. Verse 3 is saying, This covenant applies to you as well. It applied to your parents and it applies to you as well. And these laws, these commands, these decrees come in the context of this covenant. It's like they're the terms of the covenant. Um, What is a covenant? Well, it's a contract, if you like. It's a formal agreement. When you get married, you could say that you make a covenant with one another. Um, Through the pages of the Old Testament, there are various covenants. If you read through Genesis, you come to Noah. God made a covenant with Noah after the flood. You keep reading, you come to Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham. You keep reading and you come to this covenant that God has made with Israel, actually back in Exodus, chapters 19 and 20. And here in Deuteronomy, it's being reinforced or retold. 
Um, those three covenants, the one with Noah, Abraham and Israel, they're consistent with what you see in the Garden of Eden, though it's not called a covenant back then. This idea of having God's people in God's place under God's rule. And each of the covenants build. They don't contradict each other. God remains faithful throughout. So we started by thinking about the Ten Commandments in the context of Deuteronomy. All of a sudden you can feel, actually, now we're into the next step. We're thinking about the context of Deuteronomy in the old, of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, aren't we? The Old Covenant. Um, this is where I forgot to tell you, this is another Bible flip for you. Um, Exodus 19, if you just keep something in Deuteronomy 5, flip back to Exodus 19, to verse 1. This is where this Deuteronomy covenant began, back in Exodus. It began with God saving Israel. And so Exodus 19, verse 1, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, they came to the desert of Sinai. Three months, and they've gone from Egypt around this mountain, gather around, and all the fire, the smoke, the thunder around God. Down in 19, verse 3, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. Jump to verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is God reminding Moses and therefore the people that he saved them. God is the one who saved his people. Their salvation is God's doing. And then God says, he calls on his people to live in this covenant relationship with him. So if you roll down to 19 verse 5, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of the nations you, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. By living out the terms of the covenant, the Israelites will be marked out from the rest of the world as holy, set apart. Holy as in belonging to God. Like my car keys belong to me, they're holy to me. These people are holy gods. They're holy to God. He's the one who saved them. And then he says, as my people, I want you to wear this uniform. I want you to keep these rules. I want you to live this way. And you'll look very different to the world around as you don't eat pork and as you tithe and as you do these other things. And as you look at this, yeah, you can start to see how helpful this is for us as New Testament Christians to have in the back of our minds too. We don't, we're not saved by, by God because we're worth it. We're not, we don't earn our salvation by being obedient to God. He saves us and then we strive to live for him. We have Jesus as our saviour and we live with Jesus as our Lord. It works that way and it's the same back here for the, for the old covenant people of Israel. Back in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 19, the people agree to cut this covenant. So in verse 7 of chapter 19, so Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. There they are, they're agreeing. They will cut this covenant with God. They will live as his people. And so Moses gets sent up to the mountain uh, on his own to get the terms of the covenant. And as you read through Exodus, you see all the details being given. You come to Exodus 20. The Ten Commandments. You keep reading uh, the same commandments as in Deuteronomy 5. You keep reading, you, you come to um, chapter 21, talks about not making idols. Um, chapter, tw uh, sorry, that was still in chapter 20. Ch 21, caring for servants. 22, there's property stuff. And on it goes until you come to chapter 32, verse 1. I know this is a, a big jump. All the terms of the covenant are communicated to Moses. 32, verse 1. 
When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. You look at that and you think, something is sick with these people. Something is wrong with these people. They can't even wait for the terms of the covenant they said they will agree to, and they've already wandered off. Even though they saw that the ten amazing plagues that God used to let Pharaoh get them out of it, even though they crossed the sea on dry land, it's only three months later. Even though they've seen all that, they've seen God speaking to them from a mountain. They've agreed it's good and right and appropriate for them to, to, to do all this. And before they get the terms, they've turned their back. Something is wrong with the people, isn't it? A problem's been there since Adam and Eve. It's this problem with the heart, this rebellious heart that just wants to disobey. Uh, it's a heart problem. And so as you come now to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and the restatement of the same commandments, and the same laws in Deuteronomy, we know that the next generation of Israelites are just like their parents. So what have we got so far? In Deuteronomy, you've got God's decrees and laws, including the Ten Commandments. They were intended for instructions for how God's people should live in the land. They come in the context of a covenant with God. But in the context of the rest of the Old Testament, we know that the people are going to fail. And fail they do. They can't keep their side of the covenant. And when they fail, God says, uh, does what he says he will do in terms of his covenant. God judges them. He sends, the, sends the, the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. They end up destroyed and in captivity. But even as the people fall, God continues to speak to his broken, sinful people. So now if you flip to Jeremiah chapter 31, when, this is still in the, thinking about the Old Testament um, context of the Ten Commandments. Knowing that these people have this heart that's broken, God still sends his, his prophets to keep speaking to them. And in Jeremiah 31, we read verse 31, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors, this one at Mount Sinai, this one in Deuteronomy, um, when I took them by the hand uh, to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. So here's God promising a new covenant. Um, keep reading. What will this covenant be like? Come down to verse 33. This is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 34, partway through. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So here in Jeremiah, we have the promise of another covenant, a new covenant. What's different about the new covenant? The people are different. God's changed the people's hearts. In verse 33, they now have the law written on their hearts. Verse 34, they know God. Still in verse 34, they're forgiven. That This new covenant that Jeremiah is talking about, it's consistent with the preceding covenants. They always are. God doesn't change. Um, this covenant is, again, God's initiative. It's his doing. Um, this covenant, it's consistent with what God's plan was back in the Garden of Eden to have his people in his place under his rule. This covenant is consistent with 
the covenant God made with Noah and with Abraham, and it's consistent with the Deuteronomy covenant that we're looking at in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. God will have his people in his place under his rule in this new covenant. So what we've done is we've thought about um, the Ten Commandments in the context of Deuteronomy, in the context of the Old Testament, um, and then in the light of the hope of this new covenant. So now let's put the New Testament lens on it all. So one more Bible flip. So come to Hebrews chapter 8. And as you come to Hebrews chapter 8, you pick it up at verse 7. So the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 8 verse 7, For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, the one at Sinai, no place would have been sought for another, the one in Jeremiah. But God found fault with the people and said, and then he quotes Jeremiah 31 word for word. Um, in verse 8, it was the people that meant um, the renewal of Deuteron- the covenant in Deuteronomy would fail. It was the people that had to be replaced or fixed or amended. Um, so the covenant intended for life in the land of Canaan, that covenant needed to be replaced because it was broken by the people. Um, look back at what the writer of Hebrews says after he's quoted Jeremiah. So he quotes Jeremiah, then you look at 8 verse 13. By calling this covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So we're looking now at the Deuteronomy covenant from the New Testament. And the New Testament says, as Christians, we aren't under that covenant any longer. When you read the laws and the decrees and the commands and the stipulations in Deuteronomy, we're not burdened by those words. We're not scared. We're not worried about them. That those, those commandments, the Ten Commandments and all the decrees and laws, they don't stand against us like a list of unfinished tasks. The Ten Commandments, they're no threat to us because we're a changed people. We're new covenant people. We're descendants of Abraham by sharing the faith that Abraham had. The same faith. And most of us, we're, we're, we're not even born Jews. We're Gentiles who are grafted in to God's people. We have a lot in common with the people of Israel and the plains of Moab. We are also God's people. We're seeking to live in God's place. We're seeking to live under God's rule. But the thing that's changed is we now know complete forgiveness through Jesus' death in our place. And we have God at work in us by his spirit, taking his word and applying it to our hearts. We're new covenant Christians. So what do new covenant Christians do with the obsolete laws in Deuteronomy? If you turn to Galatians, I'll just read this for you, save the Bible flip. If you turn to Galatians, the Apostle Paul addresses Christians who are attempting to go back to law keeping, in particular with circumcision. They attempt to reintroduce old covenant law keeping. In Deuteronomy 3 verse 10 we read, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. You want to go back to old covenant living? You will fail. Verse 11 of chapter 3, Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because righteousness, because the righteous will live by faith. If you want to go back to law keeping, you'll end up where Israel ended up 
unable to keep the law and judged by God, cursed. But Paul goes on to say Jesus is the one who has taken the curse for us. And all the Old Testament law now does is points us to Jesus. You try to keep it, you will fail. It points you to Jesus. He's the one who's kept the Old Covenant. So the Old Testament law reveals our sinful nature, shows it for what it is. The Old Testament law shows our human heart, makes us want the new covenant that we have in Jesus. And so back to the question that we started with, well, what do we do with the Ten Commandments? What do we do with the laws and decrees in the Old Covenant? We're not bound with them, that's clear from Hebrews 8. We're not bound by them like Israel was, but we do not discard them. We don't chuck them out. They're part of God's word. They're part of God's revealed, revealing himself to us. They're part of God teaching us what sin is. They're part of God teaching us what God is like. They teach us about living as God's people in God's place under God's rule. So you don't chuck them out. They're very important. And Jesus is the one true Israelite who didn't have or doesn't have a sinful broken heart. Jesus always kept God's laws and then took our punishment for us became the curse for us. And through Jesus, God now brings in his new covenant. And so think about Jesus' attitude to the Old Testament laws and commands. Um, Jesus takes God's true intention in the Old Covenant and brings it through to the new covenant for us. So when Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, when the Jewish leaders are trying to trap him essentially, in Matthew 22 Um, Verse 36, they say, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? You know it's a trap. And Jesus responds, verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Oops, just the keys. They're not my holy keys. They're the school keys. Basically, the first four commandments. Love God with everything that you are. He doesn't go through like a legalist each word of the first four commands. He just sort of is able to wrap it up and say, love God above everything. And then he goes on, um, the first command, this is the first and the greatest command, and the second command is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There's no legalism in Jesus. There's no attempt to disregard the commands in the Old Covenant. There's complete love and devotion to God the Father and wanting to do what God would have us do. There's this freedom from the letter of the law. There's freedom from legalism. Um, Jesus isn't on about the letter of the law, but the intent of the law. He's not on about legalism. He's not about sort of this minimum compliance with God, what God's commands were. He's on about maximum devotion to what sits behind them. Um, which is what our attitude to the law should be. So as we understand the old covenant expectations, it helps us understand what it means for us as New Testament, New Covenant Christians to live as God's people in God's place under God's rule. We'll be on about loving God with everything that we are and loving our neighbour as ourselves. We'll look at the Ten Commandments and go, yeah, that's what we want to be like. But we're just not bound in the same way that Israel was. Now, as Presbyterians, we're known uh, for being big, on the Old Testament, and um, when they ordain and induct Cornelius next week, he'll have to answer a number of questions. And as you answer those questions, what you're saying is, you know, the Bible is up here, it is our authority. The Westminster Confession is the subordinate standard, but it's a good representation um, of what the Bible is teaching. 
And so as um, you read through the Westminster Confession, you'll, you'll see the, the old Presbyterians, the old Puritans even, struggling with what you do with the place of the law. Um, and they uh, break it into three things. They say you've got the moral law, the Ten Commandments. They say you've got the ceremonial law, including all the sacrificial system. And they'll say you've got the judicial law. And the Westminster Divines back in the 1600s, um, they'll say that the sacrificial system's been replaced, the ju- judicial law um, was specific for a time and place, and then the moral law continues to obligate. You can see what they're doing. They're trying to grapple with what to do with the old law, the old covenant. Um, in what we see in the Westminster Confession is Christians grappling with what it means for new covenant Christians to live as God's people in God's place under God's rule. And so what I want to encourage you to do is be good Presbyterians and keep examining the superior standard. Keep rethinking, keep working out what it means for us to live as Christians, as New Covenant Christians. So we started with the question of what to do with the Ten Commandments, the decrees and the laws in Deuteronomy. It's clear in the New Testament that we don't go back to rule-keeping. That's not the direction to go. We don't resort to legalism, but neither do we ignore the Ten Commandments and all those other laws. Um, We strive to understand God's intention in the original Old Covenant and translate that into what it means to be New Covenant Christians, people who are forgiven by God through Jesus and people who are living with Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour. The last thing I thought might be helpful is just to do two little case studies. So let's look at two commands from Deuteronomy and work out what to do with them. The first one should be nice and easy. Um, Deuteronomy 5 verse 17 says, do not murder. It's just just a blanket, bold statement, do not murder. Um, The Israelites on the plains of Moab hearing Moses say, you shall not murder, understood that this is instructions for them as living in this old covenant, this covenant, and how to live in the land they're being given. They understood do not murder as a declaration from God who has saved them and made them his people and wants them to live this way, an expectation that they would honour God by obeying the command and not murdering. What do Christians do with the old covenant command? Well, this is an easy one because you've got Jesus telling us what to do with it. You go to Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is telling his disciples to stand out as completely different to the world around. Um, Matthew 5 verse 21, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So there is Jesus maximising the intention of the original command. God said, don't murder. Jesus says, love your enemy. It's the absolute application of the principle behind it. There's no minimum compliance. This is maximum devotion. Rather than draw a line at not murdering and do all the other stuff that leads to murdering, get angry and think all those horrible thoughts, Jesus says, no, we should love our enemies. Um, So we take the time to think about what's changed between the old covenant and the new covenant. We take the time to think about the difference Jesus makes. We take the time to reflect on the, the grace God has shown us, the mercy and the forgiveness and we allow that to affect the way we treat others. That's how you apply that first commandment, or the commandment not to murder. What about another example? So this one is a little bit more tricky. It'll make you think a little more. Deuteronomy 25 verse 4 says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. So there's an instruction to Israel how to live in the land. Don't muzzle an ox when it's treading out the grain. Why have I picked that one? 
it's another easy one because you've got Paul in the New Testament applying it, so it makes it easy for us to think through. Um, that commandment gets quoted twice in the New Testament by Paul. In the context of Deuteronomy, it was an instruction not to um, stop the ox eating some of the grain as it's crushing it. It's kind of this, showing this sort of compassion to the beast as it's working, letting it consume some of the food that it's treading on. Um, there's compassion, there's a generousness about it, there's kind of a sense of justice. It's just a nice thing to do. It's an appropriate way to act. Then when you look at what the Apostle Paul does with that Old Covenant instruction, you come to um, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9. He says, For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. And Paul goes, Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Oh, okay. So he quotes Deuteronomy and says, God's intention wasn't the welfare of the oxen, but the principle of providing for the one who works. So he goes on as he's, he ends up arguing um, for he and his fellow workers deserving to be supported. Um, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 10, surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much for us to reap a material harvest from you? So here he is quoting the Old Testament command and applying it to New Testament Christians. He does the same thing with the same passage in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. There's no, you look at it, there's no legalism about it. He's not quibbling over the letter of the law, but he's not disregarding it either. Taking it to heart, the principle is being taken to heart. Um, there's concern to live for God as a new covenant Christian, loving God, loving your neighbour as yourself. So Christians, um, no doubt we're going to continue to debate what to do with the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament law, but as you do, take care that you don't become a legalist. Take care that you work out what it means for us to have a transformed heart and to want to live for God. Work out what it means for people who have experienced undeserved mercy and grace from God. Um, we don't want to aim for minimum compliance. We don't want to sort of have the checklist, didn't murder today, that's great. We want to aim for maximum devotion, loving God and loving our neighbour. Um, look at what um, God desired in his old, for his old covenant people. Work out what it means to be God's people in God's place under his rule. Um, and strive to live as new covenant Christians. And let's help each other in the process. And as you differ and disagree, keep coming back to the Bible and work out how it should be applied. And keep helping each other. Let's, let's pray that that's what we can do. Heavenly Father, we know that you alone are God. There is no other. Lord, please teach us to love, to trust and to obey you. Father, we thank you for forgiveness in Jesus. Thank you for a clear conscience. Thank you for new life. Lord, please use us as your kingdom of priests to declare your praises and to call on people to come back to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.